Symphony of Shadows, Third Movement, Muce Spenta, L'Ombra More, Homecoming, Phrase 3. Scully had seen more of Providence in the last few days than she had in the many years she had called the pseudo-planet home. Every single moment she was on the move, reassuring the folk that were now her responsibility and ensuring that the entire operation did not fall into anarchy. To her great surprise, she found that she was good at it, maybe even great. Command came easy to her now, and she grinned for the little shipwreck of a girl she was before she became a pirate. That girl never could have dreamed where she would end up, and even now Scully had difficulty believing it. All of her trauma, all of her experiences, had forged her to be ready for this moment. While most panicked or fled or went mad with the crisis they collectively faced, Scully had never felt more in control, more calm. When she found moments to rest, and they were far and few between, she felt she had never slept better. And yet, there were daggers ready to strike in every corner, a loaded gun behind every door. She kept a few picked crew with her at all times for protection. She wasn't a fool, but it was a fine line to draw. Too much show of force and the population of Providence would see her fear, her weakness, and take their opportunity. Too little and she would not be prepared for the strike when it did come. So, she decided to take matters into her own hands. Why wait for a betrayal, a stab in the back, when you could invite it on ground of your choosing and in a way that loaded the dice in her favor? Or even better, she thought to herself, have my enemy's knives pointed at each other's backs. Captain Scully had respect for the absurdity of their situation. It was clear now that all they needed for a return trip to the Constellation Sector was Sarbel's pistol, the pistol which he took with him to chase Knox. Upon realizing this, she had sent a few other ships to bring back the captain. To her frustration, the ships found the large crystal, but no sign of the steel stallion or red in the fleet she took with her, leaving more than half her forces behind. Scully feared they had abandoned them and were already back in the Constellation Sector. That or they're lost somewhere else in the universe. It didn't matter. All that mattered was that the ships would return soon with the crystal boulder, and she would figure it out. She always figured it out. Now there are other matters that require my attention. Scully took a deep breath and forced herself to remember a time when she was helpless. Powerless. She had quite the library built up from her earlier years. Faceless men now who had taken advantage of her in one way or another. The trouble at this point was how numb she made herself to these memories. She had faced these moments years ago and defied them. I vowed to myself long ago to never be powerless again. And she meant to keep that vow. Scully dragged the feeling out of herself, though. She would need it for what came next. There was a buzz at the door of her chambers. Her eyes went instinctively to the corners of the room and cursed herself. No mistakes. There must be no mistakes. Scully opened the door. A tall, slender man with sharp, handsome features and a thin mustache entered, followed by a younger companion, 
barely more than a boy. They were followed by Tammy Chan, one of Scully's crew. Scully, darling, the slender man motioned flamboyantly as he approached. We are at your service. And thank you for coming, Swain. Scully looked to Tammy. You can leave us. Ma'am, Tammy eyed the two men. They're still armed. Swain turned around, visibly hurt by the comment. Madame, I am offended by your insinuation. I would never. We all know what Red did. Tammy stepped up to Swain. The top of her head came to the tall man's chin. And we all know you're no better. Tammy's eyes looked to Swain's companion. Swain was Red's number two, and she'd left him behind to deal with things on Providence. Everyone knew of Swain's taste for younger men, but no one ever spoke of it openly. This was also not the battle she brought him here to fight. Enough, Tammy. You may leave us. I trust Swain. We need to trust Swain and everyone else on Providence if we're going to survive. Do you understand me? Tammy stepped back and stiffened. Yes, ma'am. She turned and left without another word. She has some fire in her, said Swain. Have you heard from Red at all? Scully ignored the comment. I have not, but I am not concerned either. That makes one of us, said Scully. I need your help, Swain. It is yours. May we sit? Swain sat without waiting for an answer, and the boy followed. I think Waruji is going to betray us. That gave Swain some pause. His easy demeanor tightened slightly, a snake coiled to strike. Did you just not say we must trust everyone else on Providence if we're going to survive? Don't be naive, Swain. Swain cleared his throat. I'm listening. He has the largest force on Providence, and he's been running the show for years with Sornois as his puppet. Alone, he could take us both. He's got more men, and he's better organized. This is his opportunity now that Red and Cybele are gone. I think he's going to take Woods' deal and betray us. Swain pulled a knife from his belt and flicked it open. He looked to his nails and began cleaning them with the tip of the blade. Do you have any proof of this? Not yet, but I'm sure of it. Scully leaned closer. Even if I'm wrong, think about your situation. Red is gone, and we have no idea where she is. There's no question that Red tried to kill Sornois, and we all know Waruje and Sornois were close. Do you really believe he won't find some way to get his revenge on Red? Look, all I'm saying is that I am watching my back, and you should be watching yours. Swain finished cleaning his nails and spread his fingers before his eyes. He must have been happy with the results because he moved to the other hand with the blade. And you propose we watch each other's backs? For our mutual benefit, added Scully. Why not just deal with the problem? Swain treaded carefully. And what might that problem be? asked Scully rhetorically, trying to draw Swain out more. He may have more men than us, but... Their loyalty will not extend much further than their wallets. Waruje's followers are no more than mercenaries. They do what they do for the stability of their paychecks, not for Waruje. They will not fight us if not for that. So you're suggesting that 
if a tragic accident were to befall old, weak, gout-ridden Waruje, then his crew would not mourn the loss. Swain shrugged. I suggest nothing. I aim only to point out the facts as they are. He smiled, pointing the knife at Scully. Let us speak plainly. I insist, nodded Swain. If I can facilitate such an accident, would you see it done? Swain paused from picking at his nails to look at Scully. And what do I get out of this risk? I'm not structured to have a large crew. I'll take any woman that want to join me from Waruje's ranks, and you can have the rest. We'll split Waruje's wealth between us, 50-50. Swain tapped the flat of the blade across his chin. I wonder what red would do. He abruptly jabbed the blade at Scully, coming close to her cheek. She allowed herself to flinch slightly, holding onto that memory of a weak woman who died long ago. She would probably try to kill you. Swain pulled the knife away and returned his attention to his nails. But then she'd think better of it. It's about time we let women take charge around here. Am I right? Girl power. Swain lifted his newly manicured hand and made a fist. Boy, don't be rude. The boy seemed to shake himself awake and lifted his fist into the air to mimic Swain's motion. Scully looked at him for the first time, really looked at him. His skin looked almost gray, his eyes tired, vacant. What's your name, boy? asked Scully gently. He met her eyes with his vacant ones. She reached out to him, looking for an ember of life that she could blow upon. Him, he said. Him, Lee. Some crazy shit is happening, Kim. But we're going to make it through this. You understand? Scully held the boy's stare. You will make it through this. Seventy-thirty. Swain's arm came to rest on the back of Kim's neck. Sixty-forty, Scully countered, and you can keep all the munitions. Swain squeezed Kim's neck hard. Aye. So how do you plan to facilitate this accident? Scully kept her eye on Kim, seeing the light die in his eyes. Never again, she thought, turning her gaze to Swain. This is what will happen. Scully shared the plan with Swain, and they agreed that it would happen in twelve hours, enough time for Scully to finally get some rest and take an AO-stand shower. I look forward to our blooming partnership, madame. Swain holstered his blade, raised his right hand to his mouth, and spat in it. As do I, said Scully. She spat in her own hand and clasped Swain's. As expected, the man clutched at her with all his might, his knuckles white. Scully let him. She embraced the pain, allowing it to call upon her memories of weakness. She allowed it to show on her face, and she looked down to the boy once again. As do I, Scully repeated through gritted teeth. Swain smiled and released his grip, and Scully could see the triumph in his eyes, as if he had just won some contest of wills. Scully waited until they both turned and left before sharing her own smug smile with herself. Tammy entered behind them and said, Ma'am? 
The one word was an entire conversation between them. Scully simply nodded and said, You know what to do. I smell like a rat's ass, so I'll be taking a long shower if you need me. Tammy smiled. Yes, ma'am. Good. And Tammy? Yes. That boy. Make sure he's safe. And if all works out, I would like to find a place for him on our crew. But ma'am, only women allowed on the suffrage. I know, I know. But I think some exceptions must be made. You saw the look in his eyes. You can imagine what he's been through. He is one of us, vagina or no. Understand? Tammy hesitated, but nodded. Consider it done, ma'am. Good. Scully began unbuttoning her shirt. I'll see you in a few hours. Tammy left, and Scully prepared herself for what came next. Symphony of Shadows is a production of Synapse Radio. Written, produced, and performed by J.S. Rose. Follow us on Instagram at Synapse Radio and Twitter at Connect2Synapse. That's the number two. Or visit our website for all things awesome, synapse-radio.com.